Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This episode is part of my US road trip series where I travel through several states competing at the Houston World's Barbecue Championships and learning as much about barbecue as possible. The trip starts in Texas before going across to Louisiana and then up into Arkansas. It was a hell of a trip and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you. Before we get into it, I want to invite you to come join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions community on Facebook. It's a great place to continue the conversation. Also, make sure you get your free copy of my ebook, 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. Jump on over to smokinghotconfessions.com slash ebooks to get your copy now. Finally, however you listen to this episode, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. This will really help me spread that barbecue love. So, there are few barbecue joints that have a lineage like Salt Lick. In this case, the barbecue joint in question has been passed through three generations, and the family itself can trace their barbecue origins all the way back to the Wild West in the days of wagon trains and cowboys. As part of our trip, we headed out to their original location in Driftwood, Texas on the family's 500-acre ranch. Miriam, the chief operations officer, and Johnny and Shane, resident pitmasters, took us on a guided tour of virtually every inch of the place, including the old family mansion. And the food, man, the food just kept coming and coming and every bite was better than the one before. So tune in now as Miriam takes us through the history of Salt Lick and schools us on some of the finer points of working with beef. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? A key player in the barbecue scene is Clean Heat Charcoal. Whether it's sponsoring festivals, supporting teams, or supplying the fuel for your backyard cookouts, Abel and his team work tirelessly to bring you the best barbecue experience. Their charcoal burns hot and it burns long. Clean Heat Charcoal embraces their global responsibilities as an industry leader, and all of their products are 100% natural, sustainable, and eco-friendly. The charcoal is made from an invasive species that is destroying valuable farmland in Namibia, and they offer locals employment opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have. Whether it's cooking burgers in your backyard or saving the planet, you can rest assured knowing it's made with Clean Heat. Clean Heat Charcoal is available all around Australia and will be hitting the US shortly. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram to learn more. Miriam, thanks for taking the time out to meet with me today and welcome to The Confessional. Well, thank you so much for having me. And how have you been since I last saw you? Well, I've been pretty busy, uh, you know, as always. You know, uh, restaurants uh, keep you on your toes. I would imagine that they certainly do. I I can uh, I can imagine as much. Yeah, with springtime uh, upon us here in Texas, and you know things warming up, you know people begin to move <laughs> and enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, I bet I I can imagine, and you've got a great spot there for people that do want to go and eat some barbecue outdoors. Absolutely. So one thing that I'm learning a lot about um, about restaurateurs is that uh, they don't tend to cook barbecue at home for themselves. Is this the case for you? Well, I would probably say that I don't eat or or cook quite as much smoked meat since that's you know pretty much my profession. 
but I do like to grill, and I especially like uh, the green egg. I don't know if you've ever heard of that type of grill. I certainly have, the big green egg. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, I play around with that, you know, in my uh, spare time. Oh, fantastic. So what was the last thing that you put on the big green egg? Actually, barbecue chicken. It cooks really well and really slow, and it makes it very moist and tender. It's yummy. Ah, very interesting. Now, do you like to put a, a thick, dark barbecue sauce on that when you cook it? Uh, no, actually, um, I'm not much of a, a deep, dark red barbecue uh, sauce person because, really, if it's tomato-based, you don't get to cook with it uh, during the cooking process because you can only add it at the end because uh, tomatoes burn, and that's when where you know some people make mistakes. Ah, I see. Of course, yeah, because uh, tomatoes are high sugar content. Yeah. Ah, oh, cool. All right. So, were you born into a barbecue family uh, there in Texas? How did you get into it? Well, I actually was in a development part of a company for like 18 years. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the company called Schlotsky's Deli. I have heard Uh, that name, yes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I had 52 locations in my territory, and I pretty much started out in the legal department and worked my way through to operations. And so um, I guess that's what attracted the Salt Lick to me because they were growing so rapidly. Um, Mr. Roberts felt that, you know, he needed to, to bring someone on that, you know, could handle high volume. So I decided to make a change after all that time, you know, because I was traveling so much and I wasn't home very much. And so I felt like that that would, you know, that would make things better for my life and for my family. Yeah, absolutely. With with 52 locations, you got to visit one per week. You'd never be home. Oh, yeah. And pretty much during that time, you know, uh, we were building. And so, you know, you pretty much have to hold on owner's hand, you know, for at least the first six months. It's, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, at the time because, you know, they were, they were allowing franchise to folks who really didn't have food service business. So that was, that was even harder at the time. <laughs> uh, I see. Yeah, I have a little bit of experience working in some franchise food companies myself, so I can certainly understand what you're, uh, what you're saying there. So how many locations does uh, does Salt Lake have now? We have two airport locations, one in the Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, Texas area. We have Austin, uh, which is called ABIA, um, Austin Bergstrom. We have a location in Round Rock, Texas, uh, a full-service restaurant. And then, of course, we have the Salt Lake on our 500-acre property. Okay, what's that, about a half a dozen then? And that pretty much has all happened in the last, the last three, probably in the last uh, nine years. Okay, so so pretty consistent growth there then. Yes. Oh, that's great. So, what can you tell me about the the, the history of Salt Lake? Well, um, it it it's pretty much a, 
family barbecue love story. I mean, pretty much um, the Roberts family settled in Driftwood in the actually in the 1870s, and pretty much progressed from there. The family kind of began in North Carolina in 1847, where uh, Mr. Roberts' great grandfather was born, and then they moved along the way seeking land and property to, you know, for their family to grow and raise grains and animals. And so basically uh, in 1956, they bought a 580-acre ranch and pretty much proceeded from that time to grow, you know, pecans and work the ranch and farm it with grain and vegetables, and they raised cows and sheep. And, and at the time, they provided some small local grocery stores with fresh produce and that sort of thing. So, you know, along the way, you know, it, uh, you know, it just, it just prospered and, and grew and the family grew and more family moved to the area. And then, of course, Mr. Roberts, um, at the time, uh, Mr. Thurman, he was a bridge subcontractor um, during uh, the war, and he actually was, you know, had was traveling quite a bit, building bridges and all kinds of things. And he actually met Mrs. Roberts in Hawaii when he was working through a contract with the military. And so, believe it or not, they got married, and he brought her back to Driftwood, Texas. And so, you know, she became a part of the family, and they, you know, were had two kids at the time. And so he decided that, you know, during that time, he was away all during the week, and he was only home on the weekends. And, you know, when you have a ranch and you have family all around, he just truly felt like, he was missing out on the family life, probably what you and I were just talking about. And so he decided that, you know, he needed to figure something out that he could do uh, to make a living, you know, because he was doing very well for himself with the job that he had. So he sat down uh, with his wife and his family, and he wrote down 54 things that he thought that they could possibly do so that they could stay in Driftwood and live on the ranch. And believe it or not, the Salt Lake restaurant idea was number 14 on that list. (laughs) (laughs) I know, that's hard to believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, it started out that Mr. Roberts would... You know, he would uh, cook. There was a a place near the ranch. It's called Camp Ben McCullough. And it was a park that people would come on the weekends and camp out and swim by the creek, obviously, that uh, flows through our property, which is called Onion Creek. And so he kind of got known for cooking barbecue. So that's where the idea came up of, like, well, maybe I could make a living and provide for my family by cooking barbecue. So (laughs) during that time, uh, a hundred years after the family traveled across the country to come to Texas, 
basically in 1967, we started serving food to the first customers on the weekend. And it was kind of like there was no electricity, there was no running water, there was no phone. He basically would bring meats in on a Thursday. He would sleep on a cot outside, and he would just cook barbecue. And people would come, and they would tailgate, and they, or they would sit on their trucks, and they would cook for the weekend until it was gone, and then the same process started over and over. So after a couple of years, he added electricity so that he could string up lights. <laughs> so that, you know, if people came, you know, late in the evening, they would have light. And say so two years after that, he provided running water. And a couple of years after that, we finally got restrooms. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you know, he went out in the middle of the ranch and he took a fork, like a long barbecue cooking fork, and he drew a circle. He just stood with the kids and he drew a circle. And he went, this is where we're going to build the pit, and this is going to be our new family business. So for over 50 years, that pit still exists. And I think, you know, when you were in our restaurant, you saw it. It's hand-built from the uh, stone, from the quarry, uh, from the creek. And it is still, we still use it every day for our cooking process. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful um, pits I've seen around. It's it it's incredible. It's a real um, it's a real eye opener and a real uh, you know show stealer. Uh, when yeah, and believe it or not, we are the only place in the state of Texas as of 2018 that has an actual live open fire pit inside their restaurant. I'll bet, yeah. Well, the uh, local councils and things would make things like that a bit difficult over here, so I'm a bit jealous that you're able to do that. <laughs> uh, I, you know, since the salt lick consists of drip, driftwood, Texas, I, I, I think we're a little more, they're a little more lenient for us. But, I mean, you know, there's lots of fire codes and, and guidelines that we have to follow. I mean, the fire is contained, so... Absolutely, yeah. So just on the topic of pits, can you give me a run-through of um, of the pits that you're running there? Okay, well, of course, we have our live fire open pit that is uh, fed by live oak wood. We also carry old hickory pits, which are a combination of it's a large, I would describe it as a large black box. It's a rotisserie. A uh, pit that will hold, you know, that has like 15 racks that keeps the meats moving and, you know, the juices flowing. So nothing is lost. All the flavor is contained. And those also are fed by live oak. We do not do any type of uh, chemicals, gas, or fire starters or anything. Wow. So you even run the, uh, even the old hickories run on just pure sticks. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a process. Um, it, you know, it's, it's labor intensive, but the end product, I guess, would speak for itself. It absolutely does, without a doubt. All right, so one of the things that I'm great at is uh, is cyber stalking. And from my research, looking at your website and all that sort of information there, um, Salt Lick is from the hill country, which is known for its German influence on barbecue. 
which is commonly associated with Central Texas barbecue, yet you cook on open fires, which is known to be associated with West Texas barbecue, and you offer meats both chopped and sliced, where chopped is associated with East Texas barbecue. So obviously you you, you fuse styles there at Salt Lake? Um, we, you know, I don't want to say we are picking up on any other traditions in, you know, like East, West, um, so to speak. Um, everybody has like their own technique. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we pretty much have a large operation and we don't, uh, you know, we, our chopped beef is not from trimmings or from end parts, it is directly straight from the brisket, whereas in other areas, sometimes people compare chopped beef with it was what was left over. So that's what separates us from that aspect. Ah, gotcha. uh, West Texas would be more of... They cook more in smaller quantities or boxes that are closed to do larger amounts of meat, but they also uh, specialize in things like um, cabrito, uh, lamb, uh, uh, wild boar, you know, which is more of a, on a, you know, like an open spit so or, or grape, so to speak, and we focus more just on the, on the beef proteins. I mean, does, does that make sense or? Absolutely. Now, one thing that I did have when I was there that I absolutely just enjoyed eating like crazy um, was the turkey. Now, that's something that we don't do a lot of in Australia, but, but because I'm married to an American, I have to do a turkey every Thanksgiving. So what advice do you have for people barbecuing a turkey? Well, on turkeys, um, you know, I mean, especially if, if you're not going to go from fresh. Now, we use fresh versus on an average, you know, average Thanksgiving, you will probably have used uh, a frozen product. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Okay. So basically what you want to do to contain that moisture, and especially if you're going to smoke a turkey, because with poultry, you have to be real careful that you do not, like, take all the moisture away from it. And that, that's probably one of the bigger things that you have with poultry. It's, if you overcook it, it's too dry. So basically what we do is we marinate 24 hours. You know, you would thaw it out and you choose a marinade, which... Sometimes you can just do salt and water if you want to do a different flavor. Some people use a little sugar um, or whatever, but we marinate that turkey breast. And what it does is it gives it extra moisture. And then what we do is we don't add any of the dry rubs or anything much to the outside because, again, if you're using salt, you don't want to draw the moisture out. And so basically we slow smoke it and then we baste it, of course, um, you know, with a sauce that you would want to use something that is not a tomato base because you can't cook through the cooking process. You would only be able to add the sauce 30, you know, like 30 minutes out of the last part of the cooking process. So if you're, you know, I always advise people like do like a butter basting or do a citrus 
a sort of um, sauce that will caramelize on the outside of that skin and make it very crispy. And from marinating it 24 hours prior to smoking it, it will hold the moisture and it will be so juicy. Oh, that sounds amazing. Quick question though. If we're worried about the sugar in the tomato uh, with, with the base, wouldn't the citrus have the same issue, like if I was using orange or something? No, what, what, it's not the sugar that is burning uh, from the barbecue sauce. It's the, the tomatoes, the, the acidic from the tomatoes plus the sugar together burns on top of your meat and it will make it taste very bitter. Whereas if you just use something just to glaze it, Versus basting it, that would be the difference between a tomato-based sauce, like a deep red sauce that you asked me about, or, you know, anything that is made with tomatoes does not work for slow smoking. Okay, I got it. I got it. Thank you. All right, so you mentioned before that um, that salt lick has been growing. What's coming up in the future? Well, uh, we are looking to um, expand in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We've really been looking at that the the past 12 months. Obviously, it's in the discussion uh, stage uh, and looking at, you know, do we want to build uh, a Salt Lake, uh, probably like a 400, 500-seater full-service restaurant in the Metroplex? Uh, we're also, um, you know, we have changed a lot of our pastures and grazing lands that were used for cattle. We are now making those into vineyards, and so we're really um, expanding in, in the vineyard um, uh, and expanding of having, you know, our own wines for retail. So that's on tap, and then we're, you know, our catering department continues to to grow with all of our special venues on the property. And we also are um, expanding, you know, our mail order. So, you know, it, uh, we've got we've got a lot going on in every department. Yeah, mail order sounds fascinating. What's involved with that? Well, uh, we offer our foods, our, our meats and our proteins and our sauces and dry rubs online and we ship throughout the the United States. Uh, To give you an idea of from Thanksgiving until Christmas Day, we can easily average 11,000 briskets. Wow, 11,000. Yeah, if that that tells you anything about how large our mail order. Now, uh, our briskets, are frozen and we ship one or two days we don't do anything over two days because you know we don't want to use uh you know dry ice or anything like that that could you know like cause a problem with the packaging and it's it's uh frozen it's a frozen product and we ship it out and we have all kinds of packages that are available you can you can order turkey breast you can order briskets you can order beef ribs you can order pork ribs and then of course you know just uh, sausage our smoked sausage is also for sale on, on online so we have an amazing mail order department and that is what keeps johnny busy 
<laughs> well, uh, idle hands are the devil's playthings, aren't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is Jesse with Seven Sins Barbecue, and you're listening to Smoking Hot Confessions. Make no mistake, beef is king. Ask any competitor on the circuit and the trophy they want most of all is the brisket. And you won't find better brisket than Black Angus Reserve. Black Angus Reserve is the leading brisket brand in Australia and it's easy to see why. It's verified Black Angus which has been grain fed for a minimum of 150 days with a deliciously high marbling content. These briskets are so good that Black Angus Reserve are willing to put their money where their mouth is. They sponsor multiple grand champion winning team, Manning Valley Natural Smokers, who've won many trophies using their briskets. Not just that, but Manning Valley took these briskets to the world's barbecue championships in Houston and took out second place in the world. To get yours, hit up their Black Angus Reserve page on Facebook now. And we're back. All right, so after uh, eating at your restaurant there, there's an elephant in the room we have to address. Well, it's almost an elephant. It's a bison, something I'm yet to see on any other menu anywhere. How is bison different from beef? Well, from, from the bison that we have that we offer uh, the ribs, it is a much leaner and cleaner protein than your regular beef rib that, you know, pretty much is, you know, the rib cage surrounded by fats, which uh, beef ribs tend to, you have to cook them longer to, you know, for them to be tender enough to eat where bison doesn't take quite as long of the process, but it's just a leaner meat and people are, you know, especially Austin are drawn to, if I'm going to have red meat, I would like for it to be a leaner type of meat. So that's how that came about. Oh, that's interesting. So aside from, from being leaner, is the actual flavor much different to the beef? Um, I, would, I, would, I would say it, it, you know, beef ribs have a distinct flavor just because of the, the, the fat, the fat content that, that gives it. Uh, to me, it's not, it, if anybody understands the word kind of gamey, such as if you were eating uh, venison or, you know, uh, uh, that type of meat, sometimes if it's not properly processed, it will just have this distinct gamey taste. And bison does not have that. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't want to, you know, if you're not a red meat eater, but it, it's, it, it's a nice lean cut of meat. And you can do a lot of nice things. I know, you know, uh, bison burgers have become, you know, very popular here in the United States. And it's, you know, it was like everyone was choosing lamb at the time and mixing with beef. But now it seems like bison has really become the, the more healthier red meat. Very interesting. A bison burger. What, what goes on a bison burger? Well, just like if you were making a homemade uh, hamburger patty, some people mix, you know, 50-50 or 70-30, you know, um, with hamburger and bison. So it like it's it's not as it doesn't have a high fat content. 
basically. Yeah, great, great. All right, so so circling back to beef then, because that's what I was wanting to uh, to get into in this segment. What's your personal favorite cut of beef to cook? For me personally, or for the salt lick? <laughs> for me personally, I, I would say, you know, you can't go wrong with a filet, a nice steak. Oh, yeah, very nice. And how do you like to cook your steak? Uh, medium rare. Do you reverse sear it or, or just direct grill it there on your uh, on your big green egg? I do it directly on the green egg because, you know, you can really sear. You can get the green egg, like, up to 1,000 degrees, like. Whew. Wow. Yeah. You know, you want to sear on the outside and then, you know, you cook just a little longer to reach your medium or your rare or well done. But if you sear on the outside, it holds the moisture on the inside. Yeah, very nice. Oh, I'm getting hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) So one of the very interesting things that you told me when I was there um, and you were giving me that tour of the restaurant was that you do 100,000 briskets every year. Now, that's that's an awful lot of cow. Where does your beef come from? Well, we actually have a food purveyor that, you know, it comes throughout the whole United States. And when we purchase, you know, we pretty much will do a buyout. Now, you know, sometimes the purveyors that, you know, that we have our contacts with, you know, they don't want to give out all their true places of where you receive their beef, uh, where they get their beef. But we bid on huge, like, 18-wheeler buyouts, and then we have a purveyor that holds that for us. But most of the most of the product comes within the United States. Wow. So when you say a buyout, do you mean that you literally buy all the stock that they have available? It, it's, like, um, it's like working the stock market (laughs) you know it's like you you have all these people that reach out and basically what we do is we just don't buy to buy because it's cheaper if it's higher we purchase the type you know we want natural angus beef and we purchase anything from 14 pounds higher so of course you know, I mean, I have to give it to Mr. Roberts. It's it's not about the cost. It's about the quality. And, you know, you pretty much pay for what you get uh, these days. And so what we do is we say we want to purchase, you know, X amount of briskets. And we we it's kind of a – it can almost be like a bidding war back and forth because, you know – Lots of folks want to be on our vendor list, as you can (laughs) suspect. And so, you know, we usually stick with the same. I mean, we've stuck with the same person for like 10 years because we know that we're going to receive the best of the best. And, you know, we have a special cut that we ask for. And so that purveyor will only provide, you know, like to us for that special order. Ah, gotcha. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course we use, you know, we can use easily 400 briskets, especially in the summertime, a day. And so, you know, we the demand is there. And, of course, when the holidays roll around, 
we have to make sure that we, you know, got those extra 11,000 briskets that we need to put out for mail order. So we're constantly making bids and we're constantly receiving buyouts. God, that's incredible. I can't even wrap my head around those numbers. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, when you have over 600,000 customers a year, you can imagine – and we're just talking about brisket. We're not talking about all the other products that we have also. But brisket is one of the main ones that we really um, – uh, Mr. Roberts is totally focused on the proteins. And, you know, that's that's what he takes care of. And he's, you know, he's the one that does the buyout. Um, he will pretty much let – uh, me play around with the ribs and the chicken and the sausage, but the the beef he totally is focused on every day. Wow! So Mr. Roberts, the founder, is still involved with the business today. Oh, abs, very much so, very much so. He is he has been uh, he has been very active in the restaurant uh, since his father passed away in 1981, and then his mother who was 104, just passed away like um, three months ago. And so he pretty much stepped in, you know, for his dad, and him and his mother uh, ran the restaurant until obviously, you know, she became older and, and was not able to work in the restaurant every day. But up until about, I want to say, 10, 11 years ago, she was in the restaurant every day too. Wow, that'd put her what ninety three, ninety four. That's a that's an incredible innings. Yes, yes. All right. So just uh, just circling back because I, I I took us off on a bit of a tangent there. Um, what is it that makes Texan beef unique? Well, Texas beef, of course. Most people relate Texas to cattle, and people have a love for red meat in Texas, probably more so than other than, you know, the Midwest. I mean, that's basically was the food source for a very long time. And so, you know, everybody thrives and has in their mind that Texans are are very large meat eaters. Would you agree? Yes, that is the, the impression that I got when I was there. And, you know, it's uh, uh, places that still continue to, you know, take the the long-process cooking ways are, are the places that, you know, attract people so much because, you know, now you, you, have, you have fast food, you have frozen product, you have product or beef that is processed in microwaves and in ovens and as you know there is a there is a big difference in quality and taste uh and flavor absolutely so i feel like that's what makes us at the top of of kind of the uh, the beef capital of the world definitely the beef capital of the world absolutely so do you have a preference for uh for for grain or or grass-fed Probably grass-fed. Why is that? I think instead of, okay, an animal that can graze and process their foods 
and cleanse their intakes. They have to have some grains, but I think a grass-fed animal has better flavor. Just like a more naturally beefy sort of taste to it? Yeah, yeah. You know, they need to be able to, to eat natural as well as have some grains, such as, you know, um, Spain and the pig. Um, they feed their pigs acorns the last three months of their lives before they're slaughtered, and you can actually taste the nutty flavor. So whatever food your animal is putting into their bodies, that is going to affect the quality of the taste and and the buildup of the muscle of the animal. Yeah, fascinating. So is it fair to say then that it's grass for flavor and grain for the fat content? Yes. Uh, you know, a combination. Of course, you know, in the winter months when they can't graze, you have to supplement grain, but I think most places now that describe their proteins, it just says, uh, even such as poultry, is they're they're pasture free. They're not contained in a crate, and they're you know most of them their feet have never even touched the ground. So that is just mass production of quantity and not quality. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We um, there's quite a movement happening here in Australia at the moment as well, sort of heading away from that sort of that that battery farming approach and heading more towards, uh, you know, back to the way we used to do it with the the paddock to plate type movement, which is quite interesting to watch. Yeah, pretty pretty much so. And it, you know, it, it it's uh, you know, if if you've been in the food business for a while. Or even when you go out to eat, I mean, there's just different cuts of meat or product that you're eating that is better than others. It's I've been doing it so long, I can almost tell if if they're advertising something that they truly don't have. Mm, they're very interesting. All right, I've got another off on a tangent question for you. Okay. When I was at the restaurant there, you had pecan pie, chocolate pecan pie, blackberry cobbler, peach cobbler and pie and ice cream, and you can probably guess I've got a bit of a sweet tooth, given that I paid that much attention to uh, to that part of the menu. <laughs> Which, in your opinion, is the best match with brisket and why? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, that that is that's a really hard question because we have two of the, the most favorite things that you can find in Texas, and that is cobbler and that is pecan pie. So, um, you know, I guess it, it really depends on the person. If you love nuts, pecan pie is the way to go. If you love uh, fruits, then the blackberry and the peach, uh, you know, it, that's, it's, it's just really hard to say. I mean, you know, our, we used to grow uh, peaches on the ranch. We had peach trees. And so that's where we actually got involved with the peach. But then Mrs. Roberts, you know, like really liked to pick blackberries, actually like wild blackberries, you know, that would grow on vines. And so that's how that came about. But all three or all four of those, you know, there's the chocolate lover. So then we decided, okay, we'll sprinkle a little chocolate chips on the pecan pie. Well, it took off. And so it's like we have not had to add another dessert in I want to say I don't think there's been any changes in the last 
12 years. Oh, wow. My taste buds are, uh, are dancing at the idea of a, <laughs> of a wild blackberry cobbler. Right, and we actually use uh, Texas pecans. They, they come within uh, the state of Texas that we purchased from a grower. Because, again, if you, when you toured our property, you saw all the pecan trees that were planted down and around by the creek. And um, Mr. and Mrs. Roberts actually used to sell pecans and shell them for folks so that they would have uh, pecans to use, you know, like for Christmas when they're doing all of their baking and making candies. So that's how the, the, the pecans came about at the Salt Lake also. But it's, it's, a, it's a pecan pie is a big Texas thing. Yeah, definitely. I saw it on the menu in, in tons of places. It um, definitely seems to be one of the staples. Yeah, and, you know, we make ours, of course, a little different than your normal uh, pecan pie. It's more of a kind of a custard on the inside, and, uh, you know, we've just got this, we've got this, it's not totally a secret, but we've got like a, a very, like, uh, different feeling than most average pecan pie recipes. So that's kind of what separates our pies, and also with it being homemade, handmade crust, um, that separates us from the average restaurant because we do not purchase our pie crust or our pies. Uh, they're made from scratch daily. Mm, that was so good too. <laughs> and then you just put that amazing vanilla ice cream on top and it just takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> You're not going to now tell me that you make the vanilla ice cream too. No, no. Be, <laughs> we're not quite in the ice cream <laughs> at this point, but every everything else is homemade for sure. Yeah. Uh, all righty. So what would be your three top tips for uh, cooking Texas barbecue for the listeners? Well, first of all, it's like any chef or any home cook, there has to be a passion for whatever you're cooking or making. And then you have to learn to be extremely patient. And last but not least, you have to know how to sit back and enjoy your end results and when everyone is eating it. You know, it's just that love. It's the love, it's the passion, and it's the patience. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. There's no arguing that Low and Slow Barbecue is the hottest thing on the foodie scene right now. And if you've just opened up a new barbecue business or are thinking of doing so, you better listen up. Word of mouth can sink your fledgling barbecue empire before you've had a chance to get the last brisket out of the smoker. Serve bad barbecue within the barbecue community and the whole scene is going to hear about it. You need a coach, a mentor, someone with competition barbecue, commercial kitchen and catering experience. You need Pitmaster Linda from Pitt's Perfect Barbecue. Linda can help you with everything to do with smoking meat and more, such as menu options, advertising, minimizing wastage, pairing flavors, and even wood selection. Australia-wide, if you've got all the gear and no idea, 
reach out to Linda on her website at pitsperfectbbq.com. That's P-I-T-S perfectbbq.com. Alrighty, Miriam, we're back for segment three now. You've been very patient with me, giving me this time. Well, it's this morning for me. It's afternoon for you. We're in the lightning round now, so I'm going to ask 10 quick questions for a rapid-fire one-word or one-sentence answer. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All righty. So, bird ends, beef brisket or pork belly? Beef brisket. Chicken, breast wings or thighs? Uh, breast. Blackberry or peach cobbler? Both. Ooh, good choice. Pork ribs, St. Louis, baby back or spare? Baby back and spare. When it comes to charcoal, do you prefer lump or briquettes? Lump. What's your least favourite type of barbecue? For example, a stick burner, charcoal, pellet, gas, electric? Gas. What's one tip or trick you wish you'd known sooner? Patience. (laughs) When it comes to the future, what do you think is going to be the next trend in barbecue? hard to say. The next trend is, I think everyone is really trying to figure out how to make the smoke ring on any type of smoke rings larger, which it doesn't, it doesn't increase the flavor at all. But it seems like everyone is infatuated with the pink smoke ring of how to achieve that in other ways than on direct heat. I don't know if you've noticed lately where they're they're cold smoking or doing uh, cold smoke infusions to get that flavor, but it's actually not being uh, done by heat. Does that, that, do you understand that? I certainly do. I have seen exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I think the cold smoke is is becoming more and more popular or infusing a piece of meat in where the smoke is forced to penetrate it, whereas in in a faster method instead of a slower method. Mm, Very interesting. Okay, question number nine. What's one thing you do to change the face of barbecue? I got to think about that one. All righty, we can circle back to that. If there were a fantasy barbecue league, who'd be on your team? Salt Lake. <laughs> and one thing you do to change the face of barbecue? Present it more. Have it more. Enjoy it more. Play with it more. Beautiful. Well, we're nearly done here, Miriam, so I'm going to hand control of the studio over to you. Please give some shout-outs to whomever you'd like and tell all the listeners how they can track you down. Okay. I'd like to send some awesome shout-outs To all my loved ones in North Carolina, I'd like to send all my shout-outs to all of my barbecue friends out there who we share the love and the passion and the honor of the process. You can reach us at www.saltlickbbq.com. Y'all come see us now. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today, Miriam. I've really appreciated uh, everything you've been able to share with me, and I know that the listeners have too. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been such an honor, and I so enjoyed uh, your visit, and you will have to come back and see us really soon. Well, family, thanks for stopping by. I'm sure you learned as much here as I did. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.